In this episode, I share about how I have approached my travels and living abroad and the next travel that's coming up that includes a surrender into sensuality and flow, as well as some solo traveling tips and how to connect with your body to develop and cultivate instincts and intuition for your own safety. Lastly, the idea that you can change your life anytime. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. So here's a little note from my friend Doreen, and she is the creator of Verdant Fairy, these yummy botanical scents and oils. She says, I highly recommend Candace's healing work. I love her podcasts and the Ally with Death Experiential was pretty powerful. I loved the music and of course her voice. My heart slipped out of a crusty burnt casing like a burnt marshmallow to reveal a vibrant pink thing. I wondered why I let a single person or event ever take my joie de vivre and vowed to dance and shimmer among the stars. Here's to new beginnings. I hope I pronounced that French correctly. I probably didn't. French wasn't my class in high school. But thank you so much, Doreen. I loved hearing about how your heart slipped out of the crusty burnt casing like a marshmallow. Doreen is talking about the Ally with Death Experiential audio, and it is this beautiful audio experiential that supports you in facing your own death and looking at what would really be important in those last final hours of your death, looking at what beliefs and things have been holding you back in your life, what would really make life meaningful, who would you spend your time with at the end, and how would you spend your time. And getting that push from death really forces us to look at what is important. I actually did this just a few hours ago for myself and just bawled. And some really important things came through. Things that I didn't know that I wanted. Things that I didn't know were that important to me in this exact moment came through and I thought, oh, maybe I'll do that coming up. So I don't know if I would have revealed that or gotten the courage to look at those things in this way had I not been going through this myself. It's a great way to cleanse or to start a new cycle, start this new year. It's not too late. You can find that experiential at candicewu.com slash death. When I started doing some major travels in 2017, my first travel started in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and that's actually where I began the Embody podcast in February 2018. In that time that I set out to Chiang Mai, Thailand, I actually wasn't really going for travel. I was going to 
create a life there and see how it would be to live for a long chunk of time. So being in Chiang Mai brought me a sense of feeling pleasure, simplicity, slowing down, like downshifting majorly. And I also met someone that I dated for then several years thereafter. And then we traveled together, Chris, who's the editor of the podcast still. These travels led me and Chris to many different countries together and then some places where I went alone. And that included Bali, Indonesia, different areas of Thailand, Perth, Australia, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, Marbella in Malaga, Spain, Hof Nuremberg in Germany. And then I took my own travel to Hong Kong, where my family lives, and Ireland, Donegal area. That's when I was with the horses and cut my trip short. Came home February of last year, 2019. And in this whole last year, I've been exhausted by the movement. Um, So grounding myself in Michigan and just staying in the Midwest of the United States was just the right thing for me. And it happened to be a beautiful time for me and my family. After doing so much healing work in my lifetime, for the last solid, you know, 10, 11 years, and all that my mom has done for herself gave us the best experiences this year. We've had so much fun. And I feel like all those years of healing work really, 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 really paid off. So starting, well, coming into January 2020, a friend asked me, so where are you traveling next? And I said, no, I don't want to travel. I have no plans to travel. I don't want to leave. I'm happy. And I'm still a little bit tired from last year and the the years, the two years I had moved around in different places in the world. And then January 8th, specifically January 8th, two days before the lunar eclipse, January 10th, I felt a strong impulse and desire to travel again. And I felt like I wanted to be in another world. I felt like the world that I wanted to be in was one of sensuality, sexuality, pleasure, surrendering to my soul and what calls me, and following the flow of what my heart craves and what my body is saying yes to and moving towards. So I am going to Mexico. I wasn't so scared until someone close to me said that they were deeply scared for me and wanted someone to go with me. And I just freaked out. And then I went into all sorts of research to figure out how I'm going to travel. What's been really important for me is to discern what is the media's inflation of fear based on projection, based on the fact that we have our own shadow parts. The country of the United States has their own shadow that they don't want to look at. And we can distract from what's not going well here and what's unsafe here in our own land by looking at what's going on in other countries. Of course, there are dangerous things happening all over the world. 
I'm really encouraged by several women that have traveled the world and women that travel to many places that um, speak to safety and speak to different themes around the world that unite us. The first Black woman to travel the world is Jessica Nabongo. She's actually from Detroit and uh, was on a TED Talk in Detroit. And she traveled 195 countries, 89 of those which she traveled alone. She speaks to how we assume people are bad people because we don't know them. And we're encouraged to keep people at an arm's length. And it makes people feel justified to keep guns and uh, to treat people as something to be feared. And we mostly distrust people based on appearance, race, nationality, and religion. And what she has found is that the world is our neighborhood and home is in the people. So she speaks of the world being our neighborhood in terms of online and offline, the online neighborhood that we create in social media, and also the neighborhood of our earth. And the first woman to travel all countries solo, 196 countries, was the fastest person and the fastest female to travel all of those countries. And that's Cassie de Peckle. She did it in 2015 and it took her 18 months and 10 days. And she now talks about peace and how to um, create more peace and sustainable travel. And she noticed a common thread too, that most people have the same needs. We're all the same people, she said, and we all want a loving family. And that brought her to start to respect other people more. And who inspired me even more powerfully was the youngest person to travel the world by 21 years old. That's Lexi Alford. And after about 100 countries, the places became so obscure that people stopped wanting to go with her. And in her TED Talk, she spoke about our comfort zones and getting out of our comfort zone and how much that has lost its meaning. What does it really mean? And that we may be having the wrong conversation about getting out of our comfort zone. Her idea was that we're sugarcoating fear and how fear, if we define it and break it down between our physical, emotional, and spiritual selves, then we can really look at what it is that we're fearing and where it comes from and feel the correlation between our comfort zone and body, mind, and soul. She speaks to how fear has played a major role in the defining moments that she's experienced. And those include getting malaria in Africa, West Africa, having public anxiety attacks and other experiences that are less than desirable. And as she shared this, I just began to cry. I didn't know exactly why, but it really touched something in me. And as I sat with it longer, what I felt was this restoration of trust and my own willingness to be in discomfort to follow myself and to follow what I need to do in this life. She spoke to one of my fears, which is physical danger, either being robbed or raped or attacked in some way and maybe killed. And she said that in her all of her travels, she was only in physical danger one time, and it was in Yemen. One night she heard gunshots, and it lasted for some amount of time. She worried that she'd potentially be kidnapped, 
And at some point it all stopped and she cried herself to sleep. And the next day she spoke with her one contact in that country. And that person said, oh, that, that was just a wedding party because they shoot guns to celebrate. And so for her, it was only scary because she didn't fully understand the culture. I love her final question in her TED Talk. How uncomfortable are you willing to become to reach your fullest potential? And that really nailed it for me. It brought it home as to why I was crying. It was a release of past fears and sadness. It was bringing me back and restoring me into a deeper knowing and trust that does live inside, underneath the fear. The trust in myself that this is what I'm meant to do and right timing and right place will be everything if I can tune in and to a great deal allow pleasure as my compass, allow my body to be the narrator of what I need to do and what I need to um, walk towards and walk away from. In all of the countries that I've visited, which are far less than 195 or 96, I would say maybe 20, I've only felt physical danger could have been imminent one time, but it was a kind of light fare. That was when I landed in Sri Lanka and I made a few mistakes. I was kind of naive and didn't even think twice about my own safety. I was about 27 years old and I had enrolled in this homestay program where I would teach Buddhist monks English. It was a two-week program and I would stay with this host family. I landed in Colombo, the capital, and it was 11.30 p.m. dark. (laughs) So while I'm on the plane, I'm suddenly struck by the fact that I've not even thought about that I'm entering the country in the dark. And my host family said that a man would be picking me up and bringing me to a nearby hotel. And then that the next morning, we would take the three-hour drive to Gal, which is on the coast. This is the coast where the tsunami hit in 2004. So I just trusted that. And so here I am in the plane and suddenly fearing this because I don't speak Singhala or Tamil, the main languages in Sri Lanka. Luckily, I had been conversing with this man sitting next to me on this trip from Hong Kong to Colombo. And he was Sri Lankan and he spoke Singhala. And I just begged him. I said, please, can you, can you help me? I just realized that I'm nervous about who's picking me up. Can you just talk to this man and make sure that I'm not um, going to be in danger and that I'm going to get safely to my hotel room? And he did so. And I just trusted that he did that because it was all in another language. And I took the ride alone to this hotel and I checked in. It was completely quiet. Nobody was sitting at the reception desk. We had to call somebody to arrive to check me in and the driver left and so I'm getting checked into my room by this young man who seems to be a teenager and I lock the door behind me so I'm still doing fine but then I just thought who has the key because it's this 
outdoor door entrance. And could someone just come in during my sleep? I get a phone call about an hour later. And it surprised me because it had already been about midnight. And why was I getting a phone call at 1 a.m.? The boy that had checked me in said, Miss, do you want some water? And I said, no, thank you. I'm fine. Somehow I managed a few hours of sleep, probably in the earlier mornings of the night, with the lights on, my luggage sitting on top of a chair, pushed up against the door. And when I got into the van that was meant to take me to this host family, there were some Canadians sitting in the car. And for me, that was a relief at that moment, just because I had scared myself so much. And this was so unknown to me in the dark. I got to the host family and there were several different young people from different countries visiting and staying with them and also volunteering. One woman that I became friends with for many, many, many years after and still now, she had told me a little story that at the hotel, she had someone come to the door, knock on the door while she was there and bring water to her and ask her if she wanted it. And she said, sure. And he said, where, where should I put it? And she said, on the table's fine. So he comes in, puts the water down, and he closes the door and she says, what are you doing? And he said, you invited me in, so can we get in your bed? Or should we get in your bed? And she was like, no, 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 no. And she asked him to leave and he ended up leaving. And I come to find out later through her that if you're inviting a man into your room, that that is sometimes considered an invitation for sex. So I am glad that I did not accept the water. And I'm glad that I survived that night. And I did learn some things about how to prepare a little bit better and when is a safer time for me in my ability to sense my surroundings. Yeah, daytime. Daytime, Candace. And I probably would have asked more questions to my host family about who would be picking me up and how things would go so that I just felt more prepared and could feel settled and then use my instincts and be aware in other ways that I couldn't be because I was so scared. Other than that, I've only had one other time in Vietnam that I was scared. I was with my boyfriend at the time and we were catching a bus from a more rural area back to Hanoi. And the hotel said, just stand across the street and wait for the bus. You'll see it. And there's no bus stop or anything. We're just standing on the street. So we get on the, the first bus that stops for us. Several had passed by and said, nope, we're not, you know, no. And it appeared that they were not going to Hanoi. And so this bus picks us up. And it's like a party bus. It's the most unique bus I'd seen anywhere in the world. Uh, it's like flatbeds, so you can lie down. And they're layered and stacked on top of each other. And you have to take your shoes off because they want to keep it clean. And there are these like glow lights on the inside that are like flashing. And so we get on this party bus, take off our shoes. We climb into the back and we're playing chess on my iPad. Suddenly... And I had been tracking with my Google Maps that I had downloaded. Suddenly, I have a man almost in my face pointing at me saying, you, Hanoi, and gesturing to get off the bus. And I think that they had been 
yelling Hanoi and sending people off, but I insisted on staying on as I was checking my Google, Google Maps and noticing that we were not in Hanoi. We were only halfway there. I'm not getting off the bus. And my boyfriend's off the bus. So <laughs> they're telling me to get off and he's off. So I, I felt like I had to get off. And I grabbed my stuff, fumbling to get my shoes on while I'm walking over to this smaller bus that they're directing us to. I'm the last one on and I'm shoved in and the door closes on my butt. And I look around me, people are filled up in the seats, sitting all over the ground on the steps. And there's one man who has a bloody face, like, like he had been struck in several places. So that freaked me out. And I'm trying to talk to the men that ushered us onto this bus and they're, they don't speak English and I don't speak Vietnamese. So I'm using Google Translate. I ask, why did we get on this bus? And he said, something wrong with the other bus is what I got and gathered. And for me, that felt like a lie. And someone else on the bus said, sometimes they do this. And so I just began to gather that it was more of a money-making scheme than anything. And that that bus, that was the more expensive bus, the party bus. And the one we were on was really small. And obviously they were cramming people in. So I didn't stop being scared until we got closer to Hanoi because I thought, where are they taking us? And so I'm tracking it this whole time, ready to just like push my way off the bus into who knows where. That would be scary too. We ended up being fine, aside from people trying to pull us off the bus so they could give us a taxi ride, which uh, I just walked straight through and tried to gather myself away from the crowd of those people. Other than that, I've never felt physically unsafe, but I haven't necessarily traveled to countries that people tend to warn others about. I stumbled upon this article in my research by Kristen Addis. She's a woman who speaks about solo female travel. This particular article is called, We Need to Stop Telling Women They Will Get Assaulted If They Travel Solo. She speaks to the fact that people of all genders can be told that you'll be an easy victim, you'll get robbed or killed in different countries that are more unknown. But women more often than men are told that they will get raped. She did not speak to non-binary. She did not speak to trans. And um, she mentioned that she would like to speak to non-binary folks in terms of uh, travel tips, but she didn't have the experience and spoke only to her competency. She wanted to look further into this and her research in pulling travel-focused Facebook groups. She had a thousand responses. 69% reported that they would be told that they would be raped. That's women versus men. Again, she doesn't seem to have any trans or non-binary or, or other gender identities in her experience. She mentions about how reporting data might be skewed because sometimes men don't report in one World Health Organization global and regional estimate report, the number one crime was stolen passports and that the perpetrator being someone that the person did not know was very low. 
And so her conclusion was that it's very rare to actually get raped. And while the world is not safe for women in general, by traveling, this suggests that a woman's potentially putting herself in less danger than she is when she's at home, because typically rapes happen by acquaintances. She raised a bunch of really good questions, including, is it simply too threatening, whether consciously or more likely unconsciously, to see a woman going against the typical status quo and having more self-agency? Is it abnormal to see that she does not need a partner or a friend or chaperone to journey to another country with? Her challenge is that when a woman goes against the status quo, it triggers people's fear of change and that their discomfort over a life not fully lived gets stoked. And this may explain why women caution other women about the dangers of solo traveler. And that isn't always from firsthand experience that they bring that caution. She states that we need to ask why female autonomy is such a scary concept in modern society. And why are we continuing to undermine women? Her words are, we are killing a budding sense of self, undermining trust. And could we support them in flourishing and trusting themselves to believe in herself and her abilities instead? So for me, this article helped me discern that difference between what was just fear living there that is unwarranted and what is the reality based on what some facts are as well as uh, the reality that I do have instincts and that I can do things to keep myself more safe and that I can sense good connections most of the time and nourish those connections. And a friend of mine who's from Mexico said that people are very loving and community-oriented They'll look out for you if you nourish those relationships and speaking a little bit of Spanish goes a long way. Another friend of mine that lives there who's from the States and is a woman of color also just feels like she focuses on nourishing connection and of course she does things to make sure she's not putting herself in danger, but she doesn't really think about it and she's in San Miguel de Allende. As people, we have basic instinctual and intuitive and energetic abilities. We have those gifts that help us. The body wisdom and intelligence that says, ooh, this doesn't feel right. Oh, I feel pressured in a way that it doesn't feel good. Yes, this feels great. Yes, my body says yes. And that can be clouded by our trauma and wounds that are unintegrated and it can be clouded by the fact that because of trauma we are more likely to override our experience and that in our collective society we are conditioned to override one of the ways that i learned to not override my body's messages is through somatic experiencing where uh, when you're working with a client and when i'm the client the experience that we get to decide, the client gets to decide where and how and how far and in what direction we're sitting. And the funny thing about a therapy office or a space is that we often go into that space and just say, oh yeah, we're fine. And we just take what we get. We sit where the chair is or we, some people sit on the floor or lie down 
I'm a floor sitter often. And even that seems to break some of the norms or what can feel socially appropriate at times. And how about asking the question, where do you want the chairs to be? Or where do you want to be sitting? And do you want me to turn towards you or to the side or completely away? And having that preference is often a thing that uh, some of my clients even have thought, oh, this is, this is weird or no, everything's fine. And there's a little bit of discomfort sometimes or I've never been asked that question. And we haven't. <laughs> it's uncommon. But if we really get to listen to our body, then we can feel, oh, this is too close. And there's a breath of relief when I sit at this distance and at this angle. That just helps me feel good and safe right now. And it can change. It can vary. It can be something that you work with because you may want a different kind of contact with someone. It may be helpful to work with being in a different comfort zone, so to say. And yet it's extremely helpful to notice what your body says right now and to not override that need or that preference. And I transferred that to all different areas of my life where I prefer to uh, place my things in my room, in my space, letting the timing of my body happen more organically rather than pressuring and pushing and um, glossing over the message of my body that says, wait, just a little longer or now, let's go now. And a lot of times when we are having some parts of our nervous system in a frozen state where something happened in our lives that was overwhelming or traumatic, there wasn't enough resource to deal with, including time, loving, compassionate support, or it was a dangerous situation, our body can go into an overwhelmed state that paralyzes us and shuts us down like playing dead. If you want to learn more about that, there's an episode at CandiceWu.com slash overwhelm that speaks specifically to tonic immobility and what happens in that state, as well as some experientials to support you in coming out of it. If there are parts of us that are in a frozen state, then we may not act when we need to. We may not run away or walk in the other direction when we do sense danger. We may not even sense the danger. Because some of our faculties are turned off in order to protect based on the past experience, based on the fact our body already doesn't feel completely safe. So for me, as I prepare, one of the biggest things I'm going to do and am doing right now is cultivating where in my body do I sense when something is feeling good? What are the cues? Is it my breath? Is it a release in my muscles? Sometimes my genitals will speak. It's like there's an opening and a yes, or a closing up and constriction, no. And for me, it is a yes or no. The maybe typically means no. Someone once told me, if it's not an obvious yes, it's a no. And that's really helped me a long way. When my body says, yes, I feel uplifted and excited. And once in a while, 
I've felt too excited, like over the moon. Oh my goodness. Yes, this is everything. And sort of this idealized excitement and uh, connection. And that's one of my warning signs because in some of my early attachment relationships, specifically with my father, I experienced some more narcissistic empath dynamics and experience, experience where my father would give me this loving attention at some points and then it was painful and destructive at other points and emotionally violent. So there's a part of me that can get uh, attracted by that sparkly energy, that charming energy that usually also asks more of me than I'm willing to give and there's something that bites me. So if I get too excited, too happy, like over the moon, then I know that I need to slow down and just feel into the deeper energy and which part of me is it my younger self that's craving this loving attention that gives me some sense of worthiness And I've long worked on that part of me, and yet it can still show up here and there in little pockets, debris. A friend of mine mentioned that when she senses that someone is reaching out to her in scarcity, from a place of scarcity, needing something from her, wanting her energy, wanting any material from her, perhaps too, that she feels like she wants to put something in front of her body and she'll instinctively put her hands there or put a bag or something that she has with her right in front of herself. And that's one of her cues to know that this may not be an interaction she wants to continue with. So this last chunk of the episode is going to be on some of the more practical tips and tools that I'm going to use on my travel and I didn't use all these in Thailand when I went and in other countries um, a few of them but this time around I did a more comprehensive look at what other people are doing to support themselves besides using your instincts trusting your senses but what other mechanisms so let's jump into that All right, so we're now a couple of days later from when I first began recording this podcast episode. It's interesting because typically I go all the way through the episode whenever I do an episode. And this one, I just had to take a little break. And a lot has happened between the first chunk and this chunk. I feel like a whole other person in some ways. And some of that feeling in me has also affected how I'm seeing my trip and I'm building a lot more confidence and just feeling more comfortable, ready to go, excited. My trip is coming up in about a week and a half, two weeks now. And at this point, I do have my tickets, my flight tickets in to Mexico City. And I'm going to spend about a week there. And then I plan to meet a friend in Oaxaca, uh, we may go together from Mexico City to Oaxaca. So I'm really excited about that. This is a dear friend of mine. And I'm super thrilled about um, two apps that I use that a friend told me about. One's called Hopper. And it's this app that tells you when is a good time to buy your flights. I use that a little less frequently now because that one doesn't quite give me the best flight rates. 
but it does sometimes give me a sense of when to buy and when not to buy, when to wait a little bit. It creates predictions about when the best time to buy your flight tickets would be. The other app that I love is called Skip Legged, and that shows just the best flights it can find in general, but also shows you where you can take a flight and get off at the connecting flight stop instead of the landing destination, and that's often cheaper. So for example, say you want to fly from Detroit to LA. If you buy that ticket, then you can just get off at LA as long as you only take a carry-on bag with you and make sure that that bag fits on the flight. And then you just leave the other leg of the flight and you're where you want to be. And it's usually a lot cheaper. Of course, airlines don't like that. But I have found that if I look at Skip Legged and then go onto the site itself, I can find that flight or I can book right through Skip Legged if I want to do that in an easier way. I don't always find the app that easy though. Sometimes it creates an error message. So none of these websites that I'm listing, I have any affiliation with. It's just me sharing some resources that I use personally. So I I get no money from them or anything. It's just something I recommend to all my friends and family. So now I want to share with you all the things on my list that I'm um, doing and also remembering to bring with me on my trip. I don't always use everything on this list, but I thought that in case any of you are out there and are going to be traveling solo or even with a group, if you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to support your own safety and play it smart, as well as giving yourself the best chance you can to have a great experience of connection with the people, with the culture and place. So some of these travel tips include bringing a doorstop alarm. And I just learned about this. I never used this before. And at some point I may not use it, but I'm going to bring it just to feel a little safer. I think it would have helped me feel comfortable while I was in Sri Lanka, where I stacked my luggage on chairs against the door. So it's an alarm that rings at 120 decibels and it uh, hurts your ears if it gets tripped. And so you put it behind the door and if the door opens when you don't want it to, or when that door stop alarm is on, then of course it will ring. Also, I have a little handheld personal alarm in case I want to use that while I'm out or walking or in any situation that I might want to have just something extra. And that's also an alarm that rings at 120 decibels. I've tried it and with earplugs on, I can, I can hear a loud noise and without earplugs in, it, it hurts my ears and it's dangerous for our eardrums. So. Oh, that's interesting. It's a good idea to take up some personal self-defense classes and to just brush up whenever you feel like your body might need to build that body memory again. And I've recently taken a couple private lessons. One was just unarmed self-defense. To me, I would describe it as offensive defense. It is teaching my body how to not defend, but to attack if I feel like I'm in danger, that kind of danger. The second lesson I took was on sharp weapons. And I basically learned the same movement for 
use with several different small sharp weapons. But I primarily am most comfortable with a pen. And there's this particular pen that my teacher told me about that um, I did order. And it's a very sharp pen. It's not one of those clickable ones. It's one that is is with a cap, but you just leave the cap off. You empty the ink out if you're going to be pinning it to your body or something or putting it in your purse or some bag you have. And you can even walk around with it. And most people don't even think about a pen being dangerous or that you might defend yourself with a pen. If it's a clickable pen, then that pen can retract and break. They're pretty weak. And this one is super sharp and very strong. Hopefully I never have to use that, but it does give me even more confidence if I do have to be in a situation or end up in a situation that's dangerous or where I feel unsafe. I will link some of these products in my show notes, the ones that I've gotten, so that you can see if these are right for you. And I definitely recommend taking self-defense classes. I like to bring an extra lock in case I need to lock my things in a locker or in some sort of space. On my first international trip ever, my father, who is a pretty savvy traveler and is very uh, focused on safety, told me to put my money in my socks. And that has served me at times just to spread my money out so that in case I get robbed or something falls out, that I have a safe place. And if you're wearing pants, you can tuck your money in your socks and then put your pant leg over that, of course. And don't bring out that money in a public place where everyone's watching you, of course. Some people recommend bringing a decoy wallet, especially to places that muggings happen more often, where you can just hand someone credit cards and a little bit of cash or even the whole wallet, and they may be satisfied with that and leave you alone. One website that I was looking at suggested using a plastic tampon applicator to store your money in. And I don't think that would work for men or people who don't look like they're female. Who knows? Maybe. But uh, for women and non-binary folks out there that might, um, that look appearance-wise, like they might be using tampons, that might work. And most people won't bother looking at your tampon or wanting to grab it. I always take copies of all of my important documents, my passport, as well as take pictures of my electronics and important items and either email that to myself or store that somewhere that I can access even if something is stolen especially the serial numbers. You'll want to make sure that you have a copy of those somewhere in case you need to make a report. I always like to get a local SIM card, especially because I spend a lot of time in the country, usually when I'm somewhere, and I use a lot of data when connecting with my clients. But most phone companies in the U.S. offer something that can be international. If you're a T-Mobile user like me, then it offers a small amount of data almost almost everywhere, at least everywhere I've gone, but um, it hasn't been enough to sustain a long period of time. So getting a local SIM and researching how you can get one, researching where you can get one and what the, the plans are, 
can be really helpful so that you're not doing that research when you get there. And of course, buying the SIM card at the airport is always more expensive. I like to download maps from Google Maps. If you download it in advance, you don't have to use data and you can still um, use Google search. And using that Google Maps is super helpful when you're transiting somewhere and you're taking an Uber or you're taking a taxi or some other way of transportation, you can see if your driver is going in the right direction. When I was in Vietnam, I noticed the driver was taking a whole loop in a roundabout way to get us to the destination. And I kept telling him, I tried to translate it on Google Translate, which is the next tip I have, download a translation tool. And Google Translate is super easy. So I was using Google Translate to tell him, you're taking us too far and you're taking us the wrong way. And he kept insisting that the roads were closed the other way. I wasn't convinced because there were several other roads that it seemed we could take on the map. And he still took this really long route. So by the time that I had told him and insisted that he listened to me a couple of times, I noticed that he turned towards the direction we were supposed to go. And so it is really helpful to pay attention to where you're getting driven and to use the maps that you downloaded. So I already mentioned a translation tool like Google Translate. Speaking the language goes a long way if you can just speak a little bit. It's a respectful thing to do and people tend to be a lot warmer to you and want to help you if you are trying to speak the language and respecting it doing it in a way that is earnest and kind. Some other random tips are to check the windows and all the doors when you arrive at a location like an Airbnb or a hostel or some sort of stay. Sometimes windows have been left unlocked and people have their things stolen. The editor of this podcast, Chris Spiegel, mentioned that there are some people that even go as far as using this sort of metal netting around their belongings and locking it. And I have read that it's important to lock things in your safe or in some way, even when you're there, if you're in locations that people tend to steal things. Don't say that you're alone if you are alone when you're in transit or when you're just talking to random people, unless you truly trust that person and you have your instincts on board. You might say that you have a partner at the hotel or someone is meeting you, a friend is taking a nap, and you're going to head back to see them. Anything that says that you're not really alone. If you take a taxi, you can take a picture of the license plate. You can also take a picture of their ID. Usually that should be posted somewhere inside of the taxi cab or behind the seat. I recommend taking Ubers if you can because there's tracking on Uber and there is a company behind that. So there's just a little extra measure of safety there. If you take a picture of the taxi license or the the person's ID, you can send it to a friend and let them know that you're in a cab and that you're on your way somewhere and then text them as you arrive. 
know where your embassy is. Look it up before you arrive and put that somewhere that you can access it. Even just to know the basics of where it is, like which city it's in, can really help you feel more confident and get you that information more quickly if you do need it. Find the emergency numbers of the area. There is a link on my show notes to an international list of emergency numbers. Know the scams and the typical crimes of the area, and that can support you in just keeping your eyes open all the way around you 360 so that uh, you're aware and that can really protect you. I like to plan the first couple of nights at least, and at the very, very, very least, the first night. And I don't like to arrive in the dark. (laughs) As you can hear in my original story about Sri Lanka, I did that naively and didn't even think about it and learned the hard way. So arriving with plenty of daylight can just feel a lot easier to navigate everything, especially if you're going to an Airbnb or a hotel and you've never been there. It could be in an an obscure location and you just don't know, or could be in a place and who knows what is in that area. Reach out to friends in the area. If you have friends of friends, that might be someone you meet with, depending on how long you're staying in that location. And nourish any support that you get and receive if you are staying uh, for a short period of time and there are Local people that you see at a restaurant or along the way continually, it's great to try to use their language and talk to them, say hello, do anything that you can do to cultivate those relationships because people tend to want to look out for others. Of course, that depends on the location. And if you look into the cultural expectations, cultural etiquette of the location, that's really important too. I think it's in Thailand that there are these beautiful gates and doorways. And if you step on the beam, the wooden beam that's about a couple of inches above the ground, when you go through the doorway, it's really disrespectful. So just knowing things like that in advance can support you in building the connections that will Um, keep you safe, and support you along the way. Who knows what kind of support you'll need. Know that you can say no for your safety no matter what. You don't have to listen to someone telling you about a deal, about a a travel trip. You don't have to um, indulge someone in their conversation with you. These are all just really basic tools and tips of safety. And you can apply that as you travel and just remember that because sometimes when we land in a place, we can feel a little disoriented. A few more tips. It's always helpful to get travel insurance and you can get that yearly. It's a lot cheaper than just doing it per trip. But if you only travel once a year, you might try per trip. And with travel insurance, that usually also covers a medical evacuation. And for me, I like it too, just in case. I need to get home because of some medical issue. I also like to go to my bank and get some local currency of the place that I'm arriving into. 
And it's not always the best rate. It probably is like getting money at the airport, but it feels better to me to have a little bit in my pocket so that I can just get out into where I need to go and uh, have a bite to eat and all that. Let your bank know that you'll be traveling so that your credit cards and your debit cards work. At Chase Bank, they even have a travel notification place that you can enter where you're traveling just on the app. So it's super easy. Also, there's a registry with the United States government that you can let them know where where you're going abroad and for how long so that in case something happens to you abroad that they can alert your family. I'm not sure totally about how good it is to be on a list like that in terms of the benefits and the disadvantages and what those lists are used for. Um, But of course, the United States does have a record of where you're going anyway because you're using your passport to leave. So I figure that it's just one other measure in case anything happens. And of course, as I spoke about several times in this podcast, develop your instincts. People say all the time, trust your instincts, pay attention. But how do you do that? And how do you do that effectively? So work with your own body in sensing how you know that you feel safe. When you feel safe, if you even imagine it or think about your own safety right now, a time you felt safe, what happens in your body? What do you experience? When you've noticed feeling in danger, whether that's a bit of emotional danger or physical danger, what happens in your body to tell you, to give you that cue that something's not right, that you need to run, that you need to say no, or that you need to yell? How does your body tell you? And if you're building that relationship with your body regularly, then when you're on travel or you're in a location by yourself that you're not quite sure about, you can rely on yourself. You can go deeply within your body and check in. When we have had previous trauma, we don't always have our instincts online. We're not always able to use our awareness in a way that reflects the present moment. Sometimes we can have a big startle response when one isn't needed, or we may stand there in a frozen paralyzed state when we actually need to run or yell or hit or move. And what I've found in taking those self-defense private lessons is that a lot of uh, frozen energy, a lot of energy of being paralyzed and overwhelmed, playing dead, moved out of my body. Using somatic experiencing and other types of trauma healing have helped me incredibly in restoring all of the responses of my body and a present and alert awareness that is calm when it's safe, as well as alert when I'm not quite sure, or when I hear things see things, feel things that may tell me that I'm in danger or something's not right. Another thing to take note of is that if you have a big jet lag, that when you arrive, you might be more disoriented, your body might feel ungrounded, you might be tired. That can really affect your body in terms of um, staying alert. So really plan for that first day upon arrival. 
And you can also practice this meditation that I have in episode 28. It is called Calibrating Earth and Sky Within, Prana and Apana Tantric Meditation. That's on the episode with nature, nature as um, support and medicine. And in that meditation, we are connecting with the earth wherever you are, as well as sky. So wherever you land, if you do this meditation, when you land uh, at some point when you get to safe a safe place and groundedness, then doing this meditation can support you in rooting into the energy of the place. That can help your body feel more grounded and centered. It can help you adjust to the temperature, the culture, the whole sense of the area, and can help with jet lag. I've also found that doing some yoga when I arrive is really helpful, as well as on the plane, and putting your legs up the wall. A yoga pose that um, you can lie down on the floor and put your legs straight up the wall. That helps to ground the body as well and to um, help with jet lag so that you're more in line with the time zone. There are a small handful of other things I do for jet lag, and I won't talk about them here, but if you do need tips for that, feel free to reach out to me anytime. You can find me at my website, CandiceWood.com. So all these tips, I hope that some of these support you if you're traveling, and maybe if you live in a city and you haven't felt safe, maybe those things can help you too. I think it's really important to look at the places where we're fearful and to sense into what exactly is the core of that fear. And that can be a piece of trauma healing work. That can be some belief sets that come up, it can be projections. It can be ideas and perceptions about others and ourselves that are not true and are ready for reexamination and healing. So traveling gives these really wonderful opportunities to do that, and I recommend doing that. Coming back full circle for me from this place where I freaked out about my safety and was really scared to looking at what belief sets are there, looking at where does this come from and why am I this scared? And coming back to this place where I feel more connected to my body, to my instincts, my intuition, to trusting myself, it's so restoring. And I'm really excited for this trip. And by the time this podcast is out and you're listening to it right now, I will likely be getting ready to go. So I'll give you some updates along the way. So pay attention in the next couple of weeks because I will be sharing how my experience is. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. And thank you so much for listening in today. I encourage you to pass this along to anyone that you know that might be supported by this episode, especially if they're traveling or living abroad solo and uh, need some support for that first time or are going to some new place that's giving them uh, a different internal experience. 
Thanks so much for joining me today. And if you want to stay connected with episodes, with experientials and meditations that come out, as well as self-love notes and events, sign up for my newsletter that comes out once or twice a month at candacewu.com slash embody. Be sure to check out that death experiential if you want to cleanse something out or if you're feeling heavy and stuck inside, depressed or anxious, or just want to get some sense of your next steps in life. That's at CandiceWu.com slash death. Wishing you all the self-love and worthiness as well as the intuitive connection with your body. Take care and see you next time on the Embody Podcast.